Grow CFO is where finance leaders grow together. Join thousands of like-minded professionals using Grow CFO to access the combined knowledge and experience of the finance leader community. You can join us today at growcfo.net. Hello and welcome to the Grow CFO show. I'm your host, Kevin Appleby, and today I've got Adam Shilton back with me and we're going to talk about AI. Adam, welcome back to the Grow CFO show. Thanks for having me again, Kevin. It's good to have a catch up. Certainly is. Adam, we caught up this time last year and we started talking about uh, the new tools that we'd each been using, what we thought was going to be big in 2023. I don't think we quite predicted what was going to go on with ChatGPT. No, it was just coming out, actually. Um, I think we may have loosely spoken about it, maybe even after you hit stop record last time. I can't remember, but it only just started emerging around that time um, before I lost my Christmas to it in December. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is the trouble with tools like that. You start playing with them, don't you? Yeah. 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 AI rabbit hole, as I often describe. Yeah, I've been down a rabbit hole lately with a new AI tool, but we'll probably talk about that later. Okay. So, ChatGPT and its various offshoots. How do you think finance should be using them? We'll back up for a second and just, I guess, demystify what ChatGPT is. You probably are familiar with it unless you've been living under a rock. Um, But ChatGPT works off the back of what's called a large language model, which is a massive, I guess, deep learning algorithm whereby it's trained on a ton of data. And the limitation when ChatGPT first came out was stuff like um, it was only trained up until 2021 in terms of the knowledge that it had. So when you tried to ask it anything past 2021, it'd say, computer says, no, I'm not trained on anything past, I think, September 2021 or whatever it happened to be. But we've seen an, an evolution since then. So we've had the advent of plugins, and which is really cool. So I often recommend uh, connecting stuff like Wolfram Alpha to ChatGPT, which is a computational database, because historically large language models were not very good with numbers, which wasn't great for finance. So that was really good. And then I started playing around with what was essentially a smart Jupyter notebook called Notable, N-O-T-E-A-B-L-E, which Glenn Hopper also experimented with in creating sort of, I guess, FP&A tools to run uh, predictive analytics and financial modeling scenarios. So, so that was quite cool. So you could basically ask ChatGPT to sync with Notable to ask your data questions. So that was quite fun. So it was nice when the, the plugins came in. And then, of course, OpenAI decided that they were going to bring in uh, something at the time that was called the Code in- Interpreter, which was wrongly named <laughs> because they didn't just interpret code it did all sorts of other stuff so it would generate code and it then got to the point where you could upload your own data so they then renamed it to advanced data analysis which was a, a little bit better than, than code interpreter but still not the the sexiest name shall we say and now they've all bundled it into one so when you uh, access chat gpt You've either got the free version, which is still the 3.5 model, I think, which is basically not as smart as GPT-4, which is the latest model, even though I think you've got GPT-4.5 Turbo now or something like that, because it's getting clever every day. There's announcements on GPT-5 as well. But what they've done is they've basically merged the advanced data analysis with the browsing with Bing. So it's now connected to the internet, so you can get search the internet for you as well. And it will intelligently infer what you want it to do. Yeah, so you don't have to tell it, I want to use advanced data analysis if you try to get it to generate some code or if you upload a document and say, you know, give me some predictions on this data set, for example. So that's all now housed within the one 
solution, I guess, when you log into ChatGPT Pro, which is still paid for at this moment in time. So coming back to your question about how can finance use it, there's a ton of use cases and a ton of people out there that are posting at the moment. So some recommendations, Christian Martinez, who's I think finance automation manager at Kraft Heinz, he's doing some good work. Uh, Nicolas Boucher, um, he's just released his AI in finance community and he's doing a lot on ChatGPT. But when I think about how finance can use it, I kind of split it into three. And this isn't just ChatGPT, this is just AI in general, I guess. So you've got the AI that finance team can use from a personal perspective. So a chat interface like ChatGPT, but there are others. So you've now got Claude, which I think had a massive investment from Amazon, something like 3 billion or maybe even more, I can't remember. And then you've also got Llama, which I think is the, the language model from Meta that you can access through Hugging Chat. Now, all of these different large language models have slightly different ways of responding, slightly different ways that they train the data. So it's up to you to kind of experiment with all of them and find the one that you prefer the response from because they're all slightly different. So maybe if you're into experimentation, do that. If not, play it safe, just use ChatGPT, right? But I talk about personal productivity because you can use those chat interfaces to get a head start on more or less everything that you do day to day. So if you want to produce a template for a board pack, for example, ChatGPT, give me the bare bones of a template for this based on an audience of non-finance professionals, and it'll give you that baseline. Give me some ideas for some presentation slides, you know, and make sure that you bullet the key points and make sure it's less than 10 slides whilst not detracting from the message and so on and so forth. So there is that element that you can use to enhance and speed up the stuff that you do manually every day, whether it's creating documents or whatever. But then you can also use plugins like uh, GPT for Sheets, I think it's called. So you can actually start plugging AI into stuff like itself. And of course, coming up, we've also got Microsoft Copilot, which we can go into in a bit if you're interested to go into that territory. But that's not business-wide. You might have multiple members of your finance team using those tools to speed up their workflow. But obviously, the concern is still around data. You don't really want to be uploading sensitive data to these tools, especially if they're free, because chances are they're using your data for some purpose or another, right? But the second stage that I think about is using AI for data and analytics. Now, that's not anything new. We've been able to run machine learning algorithms against large data sets for a while. It's just becoming easier and easier. So I use the example of Notable there, where you can upload your data, ask ChatGPT to do stuff with it, and then infer insight that would be I guess, long and laborious to do manually. It's not just notable. Google Colab, you can copy the code from ChatGPT, put it in Google Colab and run that against your data. And again, that tackles the privacy concern. But then you've also got some of the data analytics tools that are available, whether it's Tableau or Alteryx or anything like that, that are now building more and more advanced AI into the FP&A tools that they provide, the data and analytics tools that they provide. So number two is data and analytics. Number three is the enhancement of the applications that we use every day. So we were talking about this before we started, weren't we, Kevin? So when we jumped onto the Zoom meeting, we can now see on the bottom of the bar, AI summary, AI companion. Kevin's doing some notes using Fathom. He uses Otter AI for some of his other transcripts. These are all standard tools that traditionally haven't used AI, but now have AI built in because they're expanding the capability to make life easier. Other examples are Notion, which I refer to as my second brain. It's not a finance-specific tool. It's just a, a personal notepad. You've now got Notion AI. So if you're jotting down some ideas, you can then ask AI, oh, can you expand on this? Can you shorten this? 
I use an email application called Spark, which merges all of my emails. Now I have AI pop up in my email compose to say, do you want to reply automatically to this? Do you want to expand it? Do you want to condense it? What do you want to do? So area three is just sitting back and watching the AI creep into the tools that we use every day. So from a finance perspective, you've got to decide what your end game is. Yeah? Do I want it as a personal productivity tool? Do I want it to give me insight and information that I wouldn't find otherwise? Might be slow, I can still find it, but either way, speed up that process. Or can I enhance my existing applications with an AI tool? And I've given some examples there as well. So I tend to split my mind in three when people ask me that question. Hopefully that makes sense. Okay. There's a lot there. I think I need to go back and probably replay what you've just said about three times over to get <laughs> out of it. Yeah. Tremendous. But I suppose I'm working in Grow CFO, but I'm not actually doing day-to-day finance. I'm finding AI incredibly useful. I mean, we started before ChatGPT came out with something called Jasper. Jasper was the, the first sort of language model that you could ask questions. And we found fairly quickly that it was great at writing blog posts. It was great at, in fact, we used it to write some lessons in some courses. We gave it some very, very detailed prompts, what we wanted in there. Mm-hmm. It took out the grunt work of actually writing every word down yourself. We've gone on to do similar things with ChatGPT. Remember, we were putting together the Finance Transformation Bootcamp, and we needed a case study. Typed into ChatGPT the sort of case study that we wanted, the sort of things it needed to do. Absolutely fantastic. It just wrote the case study for us. It's tremendous. Podcasts. That's one that we've touched on. Certainly, I've got Fathom running at the moment, which was the first thing that started taking notes when you were in a Zoom meeting. But I'd always used Otter to transcribe the podcast. Then I'd go manually into Otter and look for key points in there, look for key timestamps. Now, Otter produces the timestamps automatically. It's given that it's got the transcription of the whole podcast. You can then use the language model to ask it questions such as otter please write me some show notes for this podcast otter please write me a linkedin post based on this conversation that's taken probably a couple of hours a week out of preparing a podcast it just does the show notes and does the linkedin post for you which is absolutely fantastic but i hinted earlier that there was one that i sort of wasted loads of time on lately Mm -hmm. I came across something called Reclaim.ai, and it very cleverly interfaces into your Google Calendar. And effectively, it can mess around and schedule things in the calendar. It can move things about in the calendar. It can integrate your whatever task management tool you're doing with your calendar. And it's altogether made me rather more productive over the last fortnight will be yeah. that all the productivity savings are wasted in probably playing with the tool. Yeah. 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 It's a it's a competitor of reclaim AI. Uh, yeah. Called Motion. Use motion.com. But yeah. it's exactly the same premise. But the reason I use that because I don't just use Google Calendar. Right. At the moment reclaim only works with Google Calendar, right? If I if yeah. I remember correctly. But motion will, will work with all of them. Um they've extended that recently actually to extend to projects. It's quite cool. Reclaim probably does something similar, but you can set your dependencies. Don't set me this task until I've done this task and all of that sort of stuff. It's it's good as a brain dump, and especially Binance live in a world of repeat activities, right? Yeah. Yeah. And there are dependencies. So before we can move on to this stage of month, then we need to do this prior. 
And you might have a spreadsheet that tracks it. You might have a spreadsheet that tracks who does what at what time. But until it's on a calendar, it's not really getting done. You see what yeah. I mean? So even if you're not using an AI tool to automatically schedule those types of activities for you, I'd always recommend getting into the practice of at least capturing everything that you've got to do and at least putting it in people's calendars just so that it becomes real. Because otherwise, absolutely. it's a task and say no. I absolutely hated when I started playing with Reclaim that it just took tasks and so, oh, first slot of free time in Kevin's diary, we'll stick the most important task in there. Yeah. Oh, it's another slot. And I found that my diary just turned into this horrendous task list. Yeah. I actually then quickly decoupled it from my task management yeah. system and instead started to block habits in. And I, I started putting in a habit that was uh, kind of two hours a day, deep mm -hmm. work. Oh, it goes and schedules that automatically into the best two-hour block. It'll even reduce it down to an hour if the day's looking really hectic. Yeah. And then I'll decide myself, well, which of these important tasks in the task management systems getting done here? Mm -hmm. Because at least there's time in the diary for it. I'm just finding it altogether fantastic for, for doing that and stopping me doing things at the absolute last minute, which I was absolutely renowned for doing <laughs> <laughs> yeah you and me both but the recommendation and i did find that just ended up with a load of 15 minute tasks in my calendar and what you find is that whole sort of mental fatigue on quickly switching between tasks isn't sustainable i try <laughs> often not very successfully um to do three blocks of 90 minutes with yeah. that work that you suggested yeah so yeah. 90 minutes 15 minutes break 90 minutes so it's classic pomodoro right yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And then motion just helps make sure that I do it in the right order. Yeah. So no, it's good. They're, they're useful. There's always a little bit of a learning curve. But it comes back to what I've spoken about in previous podcasts, which is that's a, a low barrier to entry, those sorts of tools. You know, yes. if you're trying to justify um, modernizing your workflow as a finance team, because implementing a shiny new finance system that may be AI enabled, there's not always a business case. There's not always the time. There's not always the budget for it. Mm. But little by little, using a, an AI to do your meeting transcription so that you don't have to think about whose next action is with who. And as soon as I started doing that, and it applies to finance, it applies to every setting where there's a meeting. If you think about the amounts of meetings that you sit in a room where people kind of sit around, some might be on their laptops, unless you've got a practice of making everybody switch off and put their phones in the middle, which I'd highly recommend. But how often do you actually retain the information of the subject matter that's discussed in a meeting, but not just that, what the next actions are? And how often do you have recurring meetings where you feel like you're talking about the same things and you're not really progressing? Yeah, having a tool yep. with, we discuss these next actions and these next steps, to you to then be able to quickly say, right, okay, we just need to make sure that these next actions are completed by Bannex. And there's still that human element that says we need to make sure that people are doing the right thing, right? But having some level of intelligence pulling out that salient information and putting it front and center is useful, right? Next best thing is obviously having somebody make meeting notes. But even still, you've got to have some person in a meeting. You might not want that person in the meeting, especially if you're talking about sensitive stuff. Again, you might not want an AI in a meeting talking about sensitive stuff, but hey-ho, there we are. But yeah, so the incremental gains you can get from doing that sort of bit by bit starts to compound over time. And I always refer to these baby steps, the same as compound interest in the same way as you would in investment. Yeah, so you talk about building habits to get 1% better every day. You know, it doesn't matter whether you're investing money or investing time or investing whatever the gains do substantially increase over time.
Yeah. And then from that meeting point of view, Fathom has been incredible for me because I can't multitask in meetings. I'm either taking <laughs> notes or I'm participating in the meeting. Yes. I don't do both. Yeah. So the fact that Fathom is there, it is taking all the notes for you. And I can go and just click into my Fathom account and I can see every conversation I've had on Zoom yeah. since I installed the thing. To me, it's way better than any notebook. Absolutely. And I suppose looking at finance, finance have to be chameleons a little bit. So they've got to have a combination of hard skills and soft skills. But I think with more technology getting better at those hard skills, we need to focus on those human elements that say, right, well, how do we be better humans in pushing our business forwards, in being better communicators and so on and so forth? And again, I'm still learning. I probably still talk too much, just in general, verbal diarrhea sometimes. It makes you a very good podcast guest because I don't have too many questions. Yeah, yeah. There we go. But no, you're dead right. If you've got something that you know is transcribing and making notes on your behalf, you can focus on that active listening piece. So finance business partnering 101 is those soft skills that enable you to listen ask good questions and make sure that you take away something that's going to be useful from the conversation. And you can't actively listen and be truly present, especially in this digital world. You can't always be face-to-face. To be truly present, you can't be making notes because you cannot multitask. No matter what anybody says, it is scientifically impossible to multitask. Just try and think of two things at once. You can't do it. So anything that eases that tendency to multitask so that you can concentrate on the one thing that's most important is a winner. Absolutely. So, Adam, last year we sat here pre- trying to predict what was going to happen in 2023. Now, I don't think we're going to get new ChatGPT in 2024. We're not going to get that similar massive jump. But what is going to happen? What do you think's next to come and grab our attention? So, I think we're going to see a greater level of autonomy with AI. So, when you look at language models at the moment and your free versions of ChatGPT, for example, um, you type in a question, enter a prompt, and then you get a response. Yeah. Um, yeah. But you have to keep prompting. You have to keep chatting until the, you get the output that you want. With the uh, ChatGPT Pro, for example, that now is multimodal, what would be my multimodal, it can accept a series of inputs. So if you've got ChatGPT on your phone now, you actually talk to it and it will talk back to you because it's got a voice generator. So you don't even have to type anymore. But you can upload an image. And I remember when they released the image recognition, there was the picture on the internet of people taking a picture of a bicycle um, seat and asking ChatGPT, how do I adjust this? So multimodal means I can give it an image, I can give it a spreadsheet, I can give it text, I can give it audio and it understands. And its ability to merge all of those mechanisms together is really useful. So I could start a chat with an image, I could then upload more data and continue the conversation until I get the output I want. But there are still limitations in what we call tokens. And we don't need to get technical, but there is a token limit for how long you can speak in the same chat before you start getting reducing returns from your results because ChatGPT only has so much memory. And I don't know. And it can't always remember the first thing you told it. Yeah, absolutely. And even to some extent, you still have limitations if you try and give it like a mega prompt, like with a load of text, it will come back and say, sorry, that's too much. I can't process that. So that's where the competitors like Anthropic and their flawed language model are trying to push the boundaries because their token limits are now massive. So I remember when they started releasing the AI tools that enabled you to um, Q&A documents. 
Yeah, so I can upload a PDF. It could be uh, software terms. Yeah. Oh, tell me whether there's anything that's a cause for concern in these terms and conditions, because I don't want to read 23 pages. Yeah, The limitation of that is AI doesn't read stuff in order like we do as a human being. It takes your prompt and it tries to pick out from the document what may be relevant to that prompt, but it might not look all of the document. So I remember early days when I was trying to Q&A long PDFs and I, I said to the language model, tell me what the last sentence of this document is. It just couldn't tell you. But now with the advent of these models that have got bigger token limits and bigger memories, you can upload massive documents and get some really credible responses from that. So I think we're going to see that increase. So I think yeah. we're going to see memory, we're going to see tokens increase. But when I say the level of autonomy, I think we're going to go past the multimodal multiple inputs piece. And I think we're going to get to the point where we can give instructions for the AI to work automatically towards producing the output without you having to continue to prompt it. That isn't artificial general intelligence. So AGI, artificial general intelligence, is that kind of, what do they call it? They call it the singularity, when AI becomes more intelligent than humans and it rules the world and all that sort of stuff. We don't have time to get into that today. But having autonomy doesn't necessarily mean that the AI is intelligent. It just means right. it's intelligent enough to work towards the outcome that you set it. I guess AGI comes when you give it prompts and then it acts like a human brain. It says, no, I don't want to do that. You see what I mean? This is a better way of doing it. You see what I mean? That, that sort of next level stuff. Who knows? Maybe GPT-5 will, will get into that territory, but we'll have to see. Eh? But I still think we're a bit of a way off. But I do foresee a scenario where you give the AI an outcome and then it prompts itself until it gets the output. Now, there is already this technology available. One of them is called Agent GPT. One of them is called Cognosis. And what you can do is you can give them a, an output and then it will try and create its own prompts. But the problem with it is it doesn't really create its own prompts well. So it gets confused and it hallucinates and it can sometimes go round and round in circles. The other problem that you have sometimes is budgetary related as well. And again, you don't have to pay much for the OpenAI API, for example. So you're talking about, you know, at 0.002 pence per or cents or whatever it is per API call. So, so they're small amounts. But let's imagine that you gave an agent a bad prompt for an outcome to the point where it said, right, well, I need to set myself all of this work to do. If it confuses itself, it can potentially run indefinitely. So if you've got that agent tied to an API that you're paying money for, and you set it working and forget to turn it off overnight, you could wake up the next morning with a pretty big bill for the API calls that you're using to run that continuous prompt. So they are not very intelligent in terms of autonomy yet. We are seeing, I guess, specific use cases with AI. So I don't know whether you saw recently, Kevin, but um, the, the big announcement at the OpenAI keynote was the concept of GPTs which again, isn't a very sexy name when we think about it, really. But a GPT is a bot or a chat GPT interface that you can pre-program for a specific purpose. Yeah, so again, check out Christian Martino's post because I think he did top 50. I'll send you the link. I must admit, I've been doing a little bit of that. I use an app called Poe. And Poe within it has lots of different bots that various people have written. Yes. And you can jump in on there. There's one particular bot that I use all the time. It uses, I think rather than ChatGPT, it's connected up to Claude. And yes. it's brilliant at writing LinkedIn posts. 100%. And that comes back to what we said earlier about having the right language model for the right purpose. Some people, myself included, find 
ChatGPT responses without good prompts a bit cold. Yeah. Whereas when I've spoken to, to Claude or Llama, I tend to find it's a bit more personable. So that's my comparison, I guess. But Poe, P-O-E, you're dead right. Anybody can create a bot and share it. I've done it before. I created a finance formula bot. Wasn't particularly good, but it only took me 30 seconds to prove the concept. But you can choose what language model you want to use. So when you create the bot and give that base prompt to say, you are an expert in creating Excel formulas. Every time somebody gives you a report to produce, give the VBA code or the Excel needed to facilitate it or whatever. But you can then say, I want to use the OpenAI algorithm. I want to, sorry, large language model. I want to use Claw Bioanthropic. I, I want to use Llama. There's a ton of others as well and, and more that are emerging all the time. So that gives you flexibility over the language model. Chat GPTs, GPTs do exactly the same thing, except obviously you have to use the OpenAI language model. So I definitely have an experiment because I'd love to see a future where you've got five tabs open at once and each of them facilitates a specific purpose. So I've got my finance budgeting bot. I've got my FP&A predictive bot. I can just rely on, even if it's not in, entirely to do everything, I can at least get some quick starting points for each of those different use cases. And I think we're getting there with GPTs. But as I say, when it comes to autonomy, I don't think we're just training a bot to say you're an expert. Mm -hmm. So I foresee a future where you've got multiple tabs up. And you might have different bots for different purposes. So you might have your finance budgeting bot, you might have your finance forecasting bot, and you can just cherry pick based on the type of work that you want to do. In terms of what that means to businesses, I think you're going to be able to do more with less people. So I think companies that do start using AI effectively will be able to keep leaner teams. Yeah, yeah. so I don't really like the word agile but that's kind of the territory that we're getting into. Yes. If you can remain flexible, keep your finger on the pulse, adapt your business quickly to market trends, change your operating model, do whatever it happens to be, then it's easy to do if you've got less people. But yeah, going back to the autonomy piece, I think as opposed to just having a bot that you say, generate formulas for me, I think it will be a, I want you to produce this presentation using this data set, using whatever, yeah, so instead of you having to prompt, copy, prompt, continue the chat, you just give it that outcome and then it self-guides to produce that. So you might start by saying, this is the outcome that I want you to achieve. And it might then come back and say, right, okay, well, to do that, I need this, this, and this from you. Yeah, so you might upload a previous slide deck that was used. You might upload some stats and some data from the business, and then it will keep going and keep going until the point that it's achieved that outcome. We can kind of already do it already with the, obviously the chat GPT for on the multimodal platform in place. The example that I used from a personal perspective when I was experimenting with agent GPT and Cognosis was finding the cheapest car price. So finding the cheapest secondhand car price and it, it trolled the web and it went through everything and it prompted and it said, okay, well, first I'm going to look at Main Street dealers and then I'm going to look at this, that and the other to the point where it came back with a number of different outputs. We're kind of getting there, but I see that evolving. So I think if I were to make a prediction for 2024, we'll see a shift towards autonomy and outcomes rather than assistance in doing whatever job you need to do. Yeah. And Microsoft have got some interesting tools coming out. So what's your view on those so far? As people know, I wear two hats. So Tech for Finance is the passion project, the podcasts, the LinkedIn posting, all of that sort of stuff. But I do also have a day job. And that is focused on the finance and accounting software, ERP tech space. But 
my company is also a Microsoft partner. And I'm actually going to an event tomorrow that is quite focused on Microsoft Copilot. Now, the, the jury's out at the moment because I think at the moment Copilot is available in, in Pilot for some organizations, but not all organizations. So some people are already using it, getting some success with it. I won't profess to be the expert. But with Copilot, similar to what we've been talking about today in terms of having that assistant, instead of it being in a chat interface, like when you log into ChatGPT, it's going to exist within Microsoft Office. I've said this before, but if you remember Clippy back in the day, which was the little paperclip that used to live in Word. Oh, I remember that. Yes, that didn't last very long, did it? Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. So so Clippy will pop up and say, oh, it looks like you're trying to create X, Y, and Z, or your spelling is wrong. Do you want me to help you check all of that sort of stuff? So that was Clippy. So I can't remember who referred to it, but it was uh, they described it as Clippy 2.0, whereby you'll have your little co-pilot logo in the bottom of Excel or the bottom of PowerPoint, and it will help support whatever outcome that, that you're looking to achieve. Yeah, so similar to plugging ChatGPT into a Google Sheet, we're similar with Copilot in Excel. So ask your Copilot, oh, I can't get this to work. Query this formula for me or adjust this for me. So again, you've got your Excel assistant. In PowerPoint, give me some more inspiration for the next slide. Rearrange this. Content's not good enough. Help me expand. Help me condense. Help me make sure that it's more relevant to my audience. So we're going to see, I can't call it Office anymore. It's called Microsoft 365. But I think... And this is what's yet to be determined. There is not any clarity around price point yet. So we don't actually know how much Copilot's going to cost businesses. I think if you're an enterprise organization, maybe it's not so much of a consideration, but definitely in the SME space, it could be quite an operational expense for you. So A, there's only going to be certain types of Microsoft license that you're going to be able to use Copilot with. So some of the E3 plans, and I think it's apps for business. I, I can't remember. There's there's another one, but essentially you can only plug Copilot into a certain amount of Microsoft license types, and it's going to be an add-on. So it's not as if everybody using Microsoft 365 is suddenly going to have access to Copilot. You're going to be able to add it onto your existing subscription, and the price point is still yet to be defined. So let's say that it was $30 per user per month and you've got 50 employees. Some of the Microsoft Essentials licenses, a few quid a month. So that is going to be- suddenly be a lot of money. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's got to be proved to increase productivity substantially to be worth it. That's that's the catch-22, Adam, because how do you find that it will increase productivity unless you're able to play with it? I find the proof with most of these tools, whether they're any good or not, is actually getting in and playing with them. Absolutely. And yeah, you can do it. So you sign up for a free ChatGPT account, been able to do that for ages. You can sign up for a free Claude account. So I think just typing Claude 2 into into, uh, Google or Bing or your preferred search engine. But you can also use Bing without having to sign up to OpenAI or anything like Anthropics Claude. So if you use Bing Chat, which I think is now available to everyone, um, I think it's built into Edge if you're using that as your browser, but you can go to, to Bing Chat even if you're not using the Bing browser. If you switch Bing Chat to creative mode, it acts like the more advanced GPT models. Yeah, so I think creative mode uses the GPT-4 model. So it's technically the most advanced you can get without having to pay for an AI. Allegedly, I've not really tested it myself, but give it a go. Bing Chat, switch it to creative mode and, and see how you get on. 
But anybody who has experimented with it, so anybody who's used ChatGPT to query formulas and help them produce VBA code to speed up their workflow is going to have the edge because that is going to translate into how you can use Copilot. And I think there will be prompts for Copilot to people that have never experimented with AI that say something like, oh, try asking me this, or it looks like you're trying to do this. Do you want support with that? But I think there is going to be a learning curve for people that haven't already been used to prompting and asking questions to get up to speed. So it's that time to value that I think needs to be the consideration. If we are investing X, how long is it going to take our business to get up to speed with really using these tools? Now, of course, I'm biased. If it was up to me, I'd have everybody using it because I've seen the potential. And it goes back to that point about doing more with less people. But again, every business is different. If you're the sort of organization that is still doing 80% of their work on spreadsheets using Sage 50, for example, you might not be in a position where you can enable AI within your, your organization. Yeah, just because there's probably a lot more that you want to do foundationally in terms of process automation that don't involve AI. And that's what we always used to talk about when ChatGPT first came out is that, yeah, it's, it's great to have AI that you can potentially start building into your workflow. But if you don't have a decent workflow, it's rubbish in, rubbish out. There's a base level of automation, robotic process automation, integrations, import, export, workflow that you can do using technology before you get into the AI space. Yeah. You know, so sometimes... I mean, if we've just done. run a quest this month mm-hmm. in OCFO, we've been looking at process optimization. And I've been making very clear to everybody through the quest that as you look to modify your finance processes, the three steps. Step one, simplify. Step two, standardize. Yeah. Step three, automate. And do not try doing that in the opposite order or you'll have a disaster. It's a shame we've got an A. It'd be nice to have three S's. Systematize. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you don't have to have tech to systematize. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it. But no, it, it is mad. And part of what I do during the day is um, I work with some sort of like industrial businesses. So box shifters, manufacturers, all that sort of stuff. And, and, and I love it because... I love walking around site. I love seeing the way that things are made and all of that sort of stuff. And it's very I'll quite often have conversations with people that come to me and say, look, we need a new system. You know, we're using a billion spreadsheet. There must be a better way. And then you walk into the shop floor and you look at the warehouse, stuff scattered all over the place. There's no labels behind locations. There's no consistency in what goes where. There's no goods in and no goods out procedure. And you're thinking systems aren't a silver bullet that can solve your problem. There needs to be a baseline re-optimization of that process to facilitate best use from a system. Because I can give you a system that will do all of the whizzy stuff with barcodes. I can book yourself into stock and I can make sure that the movements between different site locations is all automated and I can do all of that sort of stuff. But I can't do that if you don't know what your locations are. I can't I'd say do- to anybody who wants to optimize a process, start off with lean. Yes. And look at the seven wastes. Get all your folk into a room, run a workshop, start telling people what each of the wastes are in turn and just have a big, big white flip chart up there and say, give me some examples of that waste. And you don't half start spotting where your processes are going wrong and you're probably going nowhere near any tech to sort them out. Yeah, there's a couple of great books on that. So, of course, the the main one is The Toyota Way. Yes. um, Which obviously is manufacturing focus but it applies to everything else as well and then the other book which i think might have referenced wastage because i think it's actually the book that put me onto the toyota way is the cfo and financial controllers toolkit 
Right. I can't remember who is written by, um, but but look it up. That's really useful. I that, will be looking it up, and there'll be references to it in the show notes. Yeah, <laughs> it's not fluffy. It's really good. Like it's really good usable stuff. But yeah, you're absolutely right. Iron out the process. Make sure that's slick, and then start automating because you don't want to automate bad process because you'll end up with more headaches than when you're doing it manually. <laughs> yeah. So. The one area of AI that we haven't touched on, because I don't suppose we use it very much as finance folk, is, is processing images. I had a play a couple of months ago with something called Leonardo. Ah, oh, it's amazing. Found out how easy it is to get people with six fingers and other yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so so we you're right, we've not spoken about that. So for people that haven't yet experimented, there is a lot of AI image generation technology available. Now, again, that's now built into ChatGPT Pro. It uses their DAL E3 model to generate images, and it works in exactly the same as getting a text response. You just give it a prompt for the type of image that you want to produce. But the one that Kevin's talking about there, Leonardo.ai, is a competitor to DALI. It's also a competitor to MidJourney, which is the go-to. But I've seen some really good results. I find that with MidJourney, and I'm, I'm sure it's getting better now, Mid-journey, I had to try really hard and develop some really complicated prompts to get the output I wanted. But with Leonardo, it just seemed a lot easier to get the output I wanted with less effort in. But as I say, the tools is only as good as the user, right? (laughs) Exactly. And I've found this year that one of the key skills that I need is the ability to ask decent questions. That is the new skill that really makes a difference. If you know what to ask, you will get a good answer. Yes. And again, it's garbage in, garbage out. Yeah. Most of the time where AI has given me a rubbish answer or it's made stuff up, it's because I didn't tell it properly what I wanted. It will get better at answering questions without the context, but you're right. There is still some thought that needs to go into the type of question that you ask. But it's the same with people, right? I've used this example before, right? So would you just turn up to a person that you've never met before, doesn't know anything about your processes, and say, do this for me? without any context, without any sort of onboarding or any sort of introduction to the way that you work and the outcomes that you're trying to achieve. Yet we talk to AI and we expect it to understand. You know, so, so why would you speak to AI in a different way that you speak to a human where it's trying to emulate the intelligence of a human? So whether you are speaking to a human or you're speaking to an AI, quality of questions is very important. I think, Adam, that's probably a very good place to leave this conversation. That has been absolutely fascinating. Thank you for being this week's guest on The Gross CFO Show. 